Would you please pray with me? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For your mercy reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. In this message of judgment, O God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see your love, mercy, and grace. Inspire us, move us to exalt you alone. And Father, I pray that you would help me, your servant, to handle your word accurately and teach it skillfully to the honor and glory of your name. This I humbly ask in the mighty and majestic name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your greatest ambition in life? At work, your greatest ambition might be to reach the highest rung on the ladder, the pinnacle of your area of expertise. If you're a mom, your greatest ambition may be to get your kids to pick up their toys and flush the toilet. If you're no longer in the workforce, your greatest ambition may be to simply manage all your aches and pains and to enjoy your family and friends as much as possible. But what if your greatest ambition is to exalt God? Would you then proceed to shame and dishonor God? Of course not. But what we do or fail to do is revealing. Our actions reveal our priorities, our true desires, and our real ambitions. We see this in addicts. For example, a workaholic is addicted to work. By definition, they are compulsive workers, obsessed with working. Work is their obsession, and this obsession is revealed in their insatiable need to work. What if our obsession is God? Then it will be revealed in an insatiable desire to exalt God and God alone. Anne Graham Lotz calls this our magnificent obsession. Believers should be addicted to exalting God alone. The suffix aholic denotes a person addicted to something. Workaholics are addicted to work. Shopaholics are addicted to shopping. Alcoholics are addicted to alcohol. If we are addicted to exalting God alone, I think we're exaltaholics. A lofty ambition, isn't it? The truth that emerges in Malachi chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 is that a believer's highest ambition is to exalt God alone. That is what we will see as the priest show us what not to do. Their highest ambition should have been to exalt God alone. Instead, God says that they would be dunged, disciplined, and despised. Those are our three divisions. The first one is dunged. We call this the dung lesson. Malachi chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, 
Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. God is addressing the priest in this passage. Men set aside for his purposes. Men chosen to instruct the people in the knowledge of God and the worship of God. Of all people, the priest should have been exaltaholics. Instead, God rebuked them for their polluted and profaned offerings. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, God cursed the priest and the people for their failure to offer God proper sacrifices. Now, God focuses solely on the priest, addressing their failure to perform their other duties, namely to teach the people his law and to live as examples of godliness. He issues a harsh command beginning in verses 1 and 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. God is threatening punishment or judgment if the priests do not repent. The word if is repeated twice in verse 2, and I think it signals hope. God's mercy and grace are still available. Remarkably, God is indicating that the priests are not yet too far gone. If they will listen, if they will take it to heart. The phrase, take it to heart, means not just listen, but to act on what you hear. The priests were commanded to take to heart the command to give honor to God's name. This means that they were to exalt God by honoring his name. God's name encompasses his character, his person, his reputation. Honoring his name meant that the priests were to teach sound doctrine concerning God, to not only instruct the people on how to live before God, but also to set an example for them by their own conduct. The priests knew God's commands. They knew his word, his law. But they had failed to take it to heart, to actually do what they knew to do. The two ifs are followed by a then. If they fail to listen and obey, then God would curse them. The priests were descended from Jacob's son, Levi, hence the name Levitical priest. Everything that God expected of his priest is clearly spelled out in the book of Leviticus. In fact, the entire book of Leviticus showcases God's holiness. God instructs the priest on how they and the Israelites are to approach him and exalt him. God called and commanded the Levites to be exaltaholics. 
single-mindedly focused on exalting him alone. He was to be their magnificent obsession. The law spelled out the consequences for their failure to obey God. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15, all the way through verses 68, list the curses that would overwhelm them. It included curses on their towns, their fields, crops, children, herds, flocks. They're coming and they're going and everything they did, all of it cursed. God says he will send the curse upon them. Not only that, he would curse their blessings. One role of the priest was to pronounce blessings on the people. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 through 27, God instructed Moses um, to tell his brother Aaron to pronounce his blessings on his people. He said, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is known as the priestly blessing or the ironic blessing but now when the priest pronounced this blessing on the people it would be a curse the priest had failed to do their job and now they would be unable to do their job God's punishment gets much much worse in verse 3 behold I will rebuke your offspring or your seed, and spread dung upon your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. God's rebuke includes their offspring. The word used here is seed. This could refer to their children or to their crops. Both are included in the curses listed in Deuteronomy 28. Lastly, and most shockingly, God says he will spread the dung of their offerings on their faces and they will be taken away with it. Now, it was essential for priests to be ceremonially clean, to perform their duties. God's instruction on priestly purification was extensive. In a horrifying reversal, their faces, their faces, would be smeared with dung so that all could see it. The word dung, in case you don't know, refers to the feces or the excrement of the animals. It could also mean the entrails or the guts that remain from the sacrificed animals. After a sacrifice was prepared, the dung, the entrails, the unclean parts of the animal were taken outside the camp to be burned. God tells the priest that this is where they were headed because of the fullness of their sin. This is a fate worse than the closing of the temple doors in Malachi 1.10. The very men chosen to lead God's people into his presence to exalt him would instead be so defiled, 
so grossly unclean that they would be separated from God and removed from the presence of his Shekinah glory. There was no greater shame for a priest. Yet this is the very shame that Jesus Christ bore for us. He too was taken outside the city like dung-covered garbage to die a criminal's death in our place. The dung smeared on him was the fullness of our sin. He took upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve so that we might be devoted to him alone. This begs the question, is your life producing the fragrant aroma of devotion or the disgusting stench of dung? The stinky dung of our sin clings to us when we fail to take God's commands to heart, especially his command to honor his name. If it is our highest ambition to exalt God alone, we will take his commands to heart. So our first truth is that believers exalt God by taking his commands to heart. What do you need to change to live in a way that honors God's name? Which of his commands do you still need to take to heart? In Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, believers are commanded to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness above all else. In James 1.22, believers are commanded to not just listen to God's word, but to do what it says. Colossians 3.16 commands us to let the word of Christ live in us until it permeates or saturates our souls. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we are commanded to do everything to the glory of God. Those are just a few of God's commands. Are you taking God's commands to heart? Believers have the power of the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to God's commands. And when they do, it honors God and it receives his blessings. Obedience to God's word exalts God. Make it your highest ambition to exalt God by making your every thought, word, and deed obedient to God's word. Believers exalt God by taking his commands to heart. This requires discipline. And God's people either discipline themselves or they endure the discipline of God. In our next division, God has a word of discipline. For his priest. So our second division is disciplined. Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 5. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. The word disciplined works two ways here. 
Ambition requires discipline. If it is our highest ambition to exalt God alone, we need to live a disciplined life. The priests were called to live a disciplined life, one of obedience to God's covenant with them. God reminds them of what this looks like in verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 says that God sent his command so that his covenant with Levi may stand. Now, as we have learned before, God's covenants never fail. He established a covenant with Levi. Malachi uses the term Levi to refer uh, to the priesthood. It's kind of a generic term. When God birthed the nation of Israel, he called all the Israelites to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. From this holy nation, God chose the tribe of Levi to serve him where he dwelt among them, in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. He specifically called the sons of Aaron to be his priest. So all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. In verse 5, God says that his covenant with Levi was one of life. And peace. The phrasing of the words covenant of life and peace recalls the covenant that God established with Phineas in Numbers 25, verses 10 through 13. You studied the shocking story of Zimri and Cosby in your lesson this week. Phineas acted quickly and zealously to defend God's holy name from the evil and depraved actions of these two Israelites. Because he did, the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him, the, the covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. This episode in Israel's history also explains Malachi's phrase, covenant of fear. Phineas feared God. This means that he stood in awe of his name, his majesty, his holiness, and every other attribute that is true of God. God is awesome. Now that word has been cheapened in our culture today, but applied to God? The word awesome means to induce an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear. Sinners saved by grace alone should and must stand in awe of their infinitely holy God. Phineas regarded God as awesome. He stood in awe of his holiness. He feared, revered, and, and exalted God. Phineas was an exaltaholic. The priests of Malachi's day were not. They had no fear of God. They did not stand in awe of his holy name. They defiled the sanctuary in a way that was much worse than Zimri and Cosby. They were priests. 
They knew better. Zimri was a Simeonite, a regular run-of-the-mill Israelite. It was the job of the priest to defend God's honor, to promote his holiness, to teach the people to stand in awe of him, to train up exaltaholics. For their failure to do so, the priests were being disciplined by God. Such discipline, though harsh, is God's mercy. For many years, the Israelites and the priests lived in exile and they suffered God's discipline because of their disobedience. Now, they were being disciplined because they were still being disobedient. They should have been full of awe. Instead, they were full of dung. True priest were called to be like Phineas. God says in verse 6 that true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. I mean, this is the job description. Not only for a priest, but for every servant of God. That includes you and me. Like the priest, every believer is entrusted with God's word. We are responsible for sharing it with others. We must know God's word to properly share God's word. As applied to preachers and Bible teachers, true instruction means that they must teach God's word with accuracy. Therefore, they must study diligently. They must boldly speak God's truth without fear, aiming to turn sinners away from sin. And they must teach the entire counsel of God's word, not just the love and blessing passages. Pray for your preachers and your teachers to handle God's word accurately and to teach it skillfully. Scripture teaches that they will be held to a higher standard. Finally, like the priest, believers are to live in obedience to God's word. They must walk with God in peace and uprightness, an example that turns others from their iniquity. To walk with God is to live according to his divine will, in intimate fellowship with him. God continues to remind the priest of their duties in verse 7, saying, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The people would only know God and what he commanded of them if the priest faithfully instructed them in both word and deed. In that regard, they were messengers of the Lord of hosts. Instead, the Lord of hosts sent a messenger to rebuke them with great mercy, and because he loved them, God sent Malachi to call his priest to return to the discipline of their duty. If they didn't, they would face the discipline of his judgment. Even in judgment, God continues to reveal 
his great love for, him, for them that he declared in Malachi 1-2. He could have wiped them off the map with a word. Yet he still speaks to them. He's still talking to them through his prophet Malachi. He shows them that the fullness of their sins will result in grave consequences. He punishes them with curses so that they might return to him in heartfelt repentance. You see, God loves us too much to leave us wallowing in the filth of our sin. He wants us to turn away from our sin and to fear his holy name. If you and I, if our highest ambition is to exalt God alone, discipline is required. Believers exalt God through disciplined living. That's our second truth. Believers exalt God through disciplined living. Which discipline do you require? Your own or God's? If the sin in your life has earned God's loving discipline, how are you responding to his discipline? Whether the discipline um, that you require is your own or God's, both are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So discipline yourself to prayerfully seek the Holy Spirit's help to complete your lesson each week. As you do, ask God to give you at least one lesson that you can apply to your own life, not someone else's. We're really good at that, aren't we? Then discipline yourself to put that lesson into action by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you think that God is disciplining you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify the specific sin that has earned his discipline. Then repent of it. Crucify it so that you can exalt the God who loves you enough to lift you up out of the dung heap by his discipline. God's extravagant love declared on the cross is reason enough to turn from your sins and make it your highest ambition to exalt God. Believers exalt God through disciplined living. The priest of Malachi's day failed to do that. They did not discipline themselves to walk in obedience to God's word. And when God disciplined them, they refused to repent. Therefore, God says that they would be despised. That's our third division, despised, verses 8 through 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. But you. This is repeated throughout Malachi. But you. These two words introduce the judgment of the Lord of hosts, and his judgment is just. The priests have turned aside from the way, God's way. They've caused the people to stumble with their flawed and false instruction. 
And they have corrupted the covenant of Levi. They've been unfaithful to the covenant. The priests were the exact opposite of an exaltaholic. Far from exalting God, their actions vilified, denigrated, belittled, and disparaged the holy name of God. God Almighty. The word slacker is the opposite of a workaholic. It can also be the opposite of an exaltaholic. The priests of Malachi's day were just that, slackers. It should have been their highest ambition to exalt God alone. Everything that they were instructed or commanded to do was designed to exalt God. Instead, they deemed other things or people as more important than their priestly duties. They were slackers who earned God's just judgment. Therefore, God says he would make them despised and abased before all the people. This is the exact opposite of what he chose the priest to be. In the last part of verse 9, God indicts them for showing partiality in their instruction. This proves that they feared the wealthy and the powerful more than they feared God. The priest were unfaithful to their priestly duties. Their highest ambition was not to exalt God. Now you and I can read this, study this, and sit there and judge these priests for their lackluster performance. But we need to turn our judgmental thoughts toward our own behavior. A believer's highest ambition is to exalt God alone. How are you doing in that department? Are you an exaltaholic or a slacker? Maybe you're somewhere in between. You see, you, my friend, are a priest. 1 Peter 2.9 declares, But you, Christian, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Believers are God's priests. And God's priests are called to proclaim his excellencies. We were called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to be exaltaholics. Our third truth is that believers exalt God by proclaiming his excellencies. Which excellencies of God have you learned about in our Bible study thus far? Who is hearing you proclaim his excellencies? How are you proving that he is your magnificent obsession? We praise what we love. We obsess over what we love. And we proclaim our love for what we love. Do we do the same for God? We proclaim his excellencies when we refuse to turn aside from his way, choosing obedience over disobedience. We proclaim his excellencies when 
through true instruction of his word, we keep people from stumbling in their sin and we point them to God. We proclaim his excellencies when we keep Christ's cross at the center of our lives to always remember the trustworthiness of our covenant God. Believers exalt God by proclaiming his excellencies. I've given you just a few ways to do that. Add to the list. How can you proclaim God's excellencies? What is your greatest ambition? The priest in Malachi's day failed God and God's people. Malachi called them to repent or face God's judgment. But repentance by itself proves to be insufficient for the priest. After God's people returned to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon, a priest named Ezra radically reformed the priesthood. But by Jesus' day, the priesthood was again failing to exalt God. Extremely politicized and divided into factions. Their focus was on exalting their own spiritual accomplishments. They were so distracted by that that they missed the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. And they caused the people to miss him too. Failed priests need more than repentance. They need a true priest. One who faithfully exalts God alone and teaches others to do the same. Thanks be to God for sending us Jesus as the true priest, the great high priest. Of him, commentator Ian Ducat says, Jesus, our priest, paid for the curse that we deserve for our abuse of his blessings, for our misuse of the positions in which he called us to serve and for our excessive and toxic fear of people. He does this by himself enduring the judgments that are due to us. He always walked in fear, awe, and reverence of his Father. His words were always true instruction, bringing life and peace and leading many to repentance. Yet, he suffered the curse that we, his failed priests, deserved. He was removed from the temple where he belonged as our holy high priest and treated like the unwanted awful of the sacrifices, taken outside the city gates to a place of shame, defilement, and ridicule where he was publicly executed on a cross and made a curse in our place. But death could not hold him in its grip. And the resurrected Jesus now stands in his Father's presence as our great high priest, still teaching us through the work of the Holy Spirit, who refashions us into royal priest, the royal priest we were designed to be. Oh, Christian. You are God's royal priest. Your highest ambition is to exalt God alone. Take this teaching to heart. 
fear God, stand in awe of his holy name, and live a life that exalts him alone. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Lord God of heaven, you are the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. You are the righteous judge of all. As we open your word each day, we humbly ask you, O oh God, to saturate our souls so fully with the revelation of your holy character that we cannot help but exalt you and you alone every moment of every day. This I ask in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.